0: According to the... Oh, that actually should be lesson number 23, not 22. First Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we are closing in on the end of the book of Timothy. And uh, Paul is giving Timothy his final instructions. It is not... The church's job to rebel against society, even though the church has better ideas. God's ideas are always superior to that of men. And you have to remember, as we read through the first several verses here of this chapter, that the government at the time was that of the Roman Empire. This this was not a friendly uh, you have uh, one man, one vote type government. I mean, this was oppression at its best and and subjugation. But yet it says, Listen, let as many as servants, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. Because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. And yet we... Look at these verses, and who would know that tomorrow's headlines were written by the Apostle Paul nearly 2,000 years ago. Of course, the Bible's the most up-to-date book that's ever been written, amen? Uh, It is always current, and yet, what do we have going on today in Christian circles? We have people running around saying, listen, here's what we need to do. We need to get rid of our doctrine." so that we can all get along. Now, is that what Paul said right here? No. In fact, he said the exact opposite. He said someone who says these things, let's get rid of our doctrine, is falling into the categories here uh, of this description of someone who knows nothing. Doctrine is what we believe enough to live. I remember the first time I was really challenged with this Uh, A preacher said, listen, you only believe what you live. The rest of it is just a bunch of religious ornamentation. First time I heard that, I said, I don't know if I agree with that. Because I believe these things. But the truth is, if you don't believe it enough to live it, How much do you really believe it? This is what Timothy was left to do, was to teach true doctrine. And this thing about money and religion, boy, I'll tell you what, you can, uh, I believe the man's name was actually Noel Smith. He was a professor when Brother Clayton and Brother Marshall were at Bible college. He was a very wise man and, He had a little saying that he would use often. He said, money do shed a lot of light on theology. And you start looking at where the dollar sign is, where the money's going, and you're going to find out an awful lot. How many of you have ever heard of the hundredfold offering? Uh, That is something that has been practiced in certain circles And the preacher would get up and say, whatever you put in the offering plate, God will give you back a hundred times. Well, the simple truth of the matter is, a hundredfold is not a hundred times. A fold is what the seed produces. So if you put one kernel of corn in the ground and you have a healthy stalk of corn that grows, you're going to get two or three ears of corn from one seed. Now, I don't know how many kernels are on one cob of corn, but it's a lot. And uh, you multiply that by two or three, and that is one fold. Now, what he was promising was a hundred times increase. You put in a dollar, get back a hundred dollars. You know what that sounds like to me? Bernie made off. Isn't that true? He said, I can give you 12% return when everybody else is only given 5. 80% goes in my pocket, and I'll take someone else's 12% and give it to you, and we'll just keep shifting the money back and forth until we get caught. Pretty sad, isn't it? But turn on the television today, and what do you got? anybody remember a guy named Shambach? He used to be on the radio here in New York City. Uh, his name describes the person. Emphasis on the first syllable, Mr. Sham. And uh, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and I, I don't know until I get Alzheimer's, I won't forget this, but we were driving across the Throgs Neck Bridge, pulling our trailers with Brother Clayton going out to help a church get started on Long Island. And, oh, it was, we were tired, been driving all day. And so I was flipping through the radio station trying to find something to stay awake. And all of a sudden I heard this guy preaching. And I said, well, at least it will keep me awake. And sure enough, here was Brother Shambach, and here was his plea. He said, I want you to make me a promise. That whatever God gives you as a blessing, you're going to send half of it to Brother Shambach. And I will pray that God will bless you. Now, here's what the Bible says. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such, turn away. I've had people say, oh, all your church is about is money. I said, you've never been to our services, I don't think. And, uh, well, no, all churches are like that. I said, you come. I said, we take one offering a week. I said, the only time we talk about money is when we have our missions conference and all that money is going to be given away. That doesn't stay here, not one penny of it. We're not about money. But I'll tell you what. God's paid every bill, and we thank the Lord for the miracles that he's done, but if gain were godliness, and we talked about this before, who would be the most spiritual man in the world? It'd be a competition between Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. I mean, they've got the money. They make TBN and all the religious broadcasting networks and Benny Hinn and all the rest of them, they make them look like pulpers. I mean, they got more money than Benny Hinn does. Is money makes you spiritual Then Bill Gates is probably the most spiritual man in America today. And I don't know what his professed religion is. I think it's tree-hugging or some strange little druid worship or something like that. Um, But that's money does not determine your spirituality. That's what the Pharisees in Jesus' day believed. And Paul is warning Timothy. Um, Does anybody remember L. Ron Hubbard? Dianetics? Christian Scientology? Not to be mixed up with Christian science. Not to be confused with a Christian scientist. The only honest one in the group is the Christian scientist... A Christian science practitioner is a person who imagines everything that is real is imaginary and everything that is imaginary is real. That's Mary Baker Eddy. And uh, Scientology was invented for one purpose. Mr. Hubbard wanted to be a millionaire. And he said, somebody told him, if you want to be a millionaire, start a new religion. He did. And he made lots of money. But that won't get you one bit closer to God. Now look at the next verse. And if you get a hold of this verse, you'll have everything you need in life. Verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Have you ever met a godly person without contentment? Let me explain how that works. That's the person who does what they do for religion because they're trying to earn favor with God. No matter how much good they do, it's never going to be enough because no matter how many good things you do, it's not going to pay for your bad things. I don't think there's a person that has ever lived... Uh, in outside the Lord Jesus Christ himself that is credited with more good works than Mother Teresa. I mean, she spent her whole life giving things and helping people. Does anybody remember what she said before she died? She said, I'm really concerned. I don't think I've done enough good works to please God. And you know what the truth is? She's absolutely correct. That's godliness without contentment. Godliness without contentment, my friend, is slavery. It is nothing more than you listening to the dictates of some man or religious system and giving your everything. We had a fellow come here years and years ago, and, and things were just a little different about... About him and and um, I said, listen, do you do you want to learn the Bible? And he said, oh, that's that's what I'm here for. I said, well, we have discipleship, and we had just started that. The same lessons that we're going to start teaching tomorrow night uh, here on, on a weekly schedule until we get through those. But um, I went over to his house. It was, our church was a lot smaller back then. We were only running about 25 or 30 on Sunday morning. And so I went over to his house and took the first lesson. And all of a sudden, I started teaching about the Bible. And I noticed he was wrinkling his brows. And I said, well, the Bible's the final authority. He said, no, it's not. So what? He says, I think you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Where in the world is this coming from? I said, maybe we just need, maybe you need a couple of days to cool down. Let's try this again in a couple of days. And he was ready for me next time. I mean, he was loaded for bear. And finally, he explained to me that he was a member of the Unification Church, a follower of Sun Young Moon. And that he had given his all to follow Mr. Moon's teachings and had had a nervous breakdown because he couldn't stand up to the pressure. And he had found our church, which was fairly close to his house, and he figured it would be a nice religious community in which he could make friends and find himself some support and rebuild himself emotionally so he could rejoin. Mr. Moon's movement and be a help there. And he said, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I think the writings of other men are just as important as Christ. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. You got the wrong church. We don't believe the writings of any man are worth anything. And Sung Young Moon is the biggest baboon of all. The guy can't even figure out his taxes. And he's going to tell you that God picked him to straighten out what he failed at. And the guy told me, only after Jesus begged him the third time did he say he would do that. I looked at him, I said, that's blasphemy. Jesus never failed at anything. He's God. You see, godliness without contentment is slavery. You have to have godliness with contentment. You see, contentment without godliness, could we look at the other side of that coin? How many of you remember the 60s? As long as I got a reefer and my girlfriend by my side, I'm content. That's contentment without godliness, isn't it? Uh, may I challenge you? Both are as ridiculous as, as it is possibly to be ridiculous. Godliness and contentment work together. You see, the contentment demands my satisfaction with God. Anybody remember the ugliest man that ever lived? I can't get no satisfaction. Mick Jagger, uh, Rolling Stones, all that stuff. If you remember that, you can repent later. Um, But that's what the world has to offer. Contentment is satisfaction with God's goodness. Godliness is the imitation of God's character. If I imitate God's character and I'm not satisfied with God, I'm not satisfied with life. I'm a slave to some man's religious system. If I'm content not to have godliness, who am I going to end up serving? Me. Do you want me to tell you what the greatest problem in America today is? Selfishness. Me first if we could get rid of me first it would be safe to drive on the highways of new york city how many times have you gotten off the exit ramp and this one guy is doing 85 miles an hour just to get to the headlight in front a uh, stoplight in front of you he might get to the headlight but he's got to go through the trunk first excuse me but i'll tell you there's all this stuff on Wall Street, what is it? Selfishness. Fannie Mae, Freddie. You, yeah, Smith, Barney, the whole nine yards, Merrill Lynch, all the banks. What is, why did we have a failure? Selfishness. It's the root cause. Godliness with contentment. Is great gain. If I can be satisfied with God and His goodness in my life and take that goodness to the world in which I live, I'm the richest man in the world. Amen? Money cannot buy one second of contentment. But I'll tell you what, serving the Lord is contentment. I am 45 years old. You know what I'm supposed to be having right now? I'm supposed to be in the depths of my midlife crisis. Do you know why people have midlife crises? Crises i am get it correct there for our English teacher. Do you know why people have a midlife crisis? It's because they wake up one day and look back and realize that they've taken their entire life and wasted it. That it doesn't count. That they're not satisfied. And so then, in order to make their life count, They do the stupidest things known to mankind. They leave a family of 25, 30 years and try to find a new one. They decide they're going to pull a Van Gogh and head to the, uh, cut their ear off and head to the Pacific Islands and paint pictures, and someday somebody will think that they're worth something. No. You know what? I don't have time to have a midlife crisis because I have too much to do to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. My self-worth does not come from the things I accomplish. It comes from the fact that Jesus loved me enough to die in my place on Calvary's cross. Anybody that loves me that much, that means I'm worth something. Amen? And I don't care what you think I'm worth. If Jesus thinks I'm worth that much... That makes me a mighty important person. And so I'll give my life to Him. And you know what? I can be content. I'll put my life up against anybody. The Lord has done some amazing things with our little church right here. He's seen souls saved. Amen? Missionaries support our church has ever had. We're going to take a family in, train them, send them out to start another one. I'm scared to death, but I'm excited about what God's doing and the Spirit of our people be willing to step out by faith and do this godliness with contentment. Somebody asked, One great rich man, I think it was Rockefeller, how much money was enough? You know what he said? One more dollar. I don't think he'd say that today because the dollar's not worth what it was when he made that statement. He'd have to say ten more dollars or fifty more dollars. But how much is enough? I've often had people say, well, if God just gave me enough money to pay all my bills, have you ever studied that thing? You get more money, what do you get? Bigger bills. They they say the average person runs somewhere between 80 and 150% of their year's income in debt. And so, if you make $100,000 a year, you could be $50 to $80,000 in debt. If you make a million dollars a year, eh, you just half a million to 800,000 in debt, or whatever. I mean, just figure it out. It's crazy. I don't own anything, but I don't know anything. Tell you what, it makes life simple, my friend. Somebody said, what are you going to take with you if you had to leave? My kids, amen. They're the only thing worth saving anyway, even when they're bad. Amen? Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. We brought nothing into this world. How many of you have ever seen a baby born or real close to it? I tell you, it's an amazing event. But every little baby is born with a clenched fist. You know what's in it? Nothing. Well, maybe some things we won't talk about here. But for the most part, that baby is born with an empty hand. Now, what happens when people die? Does anybody remember Queen Elizabeth? The most powerful woman in history in her age. She died saying, My kingdom for another moment. But her kingdom wouldn't purchase one more minute of life. There's a fellow that finally made it big, had all the money in the world, bought himself a gold-plated Cadillac. And he said, I'm going to be buried in my Cadillac. And they literally did it. They strapped him in the seat, took the Cadillac, tail up, dug a big hole and stuck it in the ground... They say, now I don't know if this happened or not, but they say that on the way they saw this gold-plated Cadillac on the tow truck going to the cemetery. And somebody looked at it and said, wow, that's living. (laughs) I don't know if that happened or not. Somebody said it did. I just thought I'd pass it on for what it's worth. You can be buried in it, but you don't take it with you. Look at verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. If I have what I need to live, what more do I need? The only thing that we need to ask God for is, God, what do I need to serve you? God, will you give me what I need to have a good testimony and to serve you? Listen, that's been our prayer of our church ever since we started. God, give us what we need to serve you. When it came time for God to give us a building, he gave us a building. But he didn't give us the building before we needed it. Amen? He's given us the money to renovate it. As you can see, we're still in the process. We've only been at it for whatever 1996 to uh, 2010 happens to be. And we're going to be at it for a while. We're not in a hurry. We're just going to keep moving as God provides. We want it to be a good testimony. Amen? Now, the Bible says here, look at, you got to get the catch here. In verse 5, it says, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment... Let us therewith be content. Now, I don't know. Let's just stop here for a minute. I just want to bring out one more little thing. How many of you have ever thought or had something enter your heart that if I could just have this one thing, it would make my life better? Has anybody ever thought that? If I could just get Fill in the blank. The Lord taught me this lesson very, very thoroughly. Um, does anybody remember the Apple computer? It was the first powerful laptop they had called the 5300. Does anybody remember that computer? It was 1995, and we were I was doing a lot of traveling to raise money for our church so we could buy... The building and, and looking at things and and I was traveling to meetings and I, I asked our church I said I I need a computer I can take with me and they voted to get this thing and I thought if I just had that computer make all the difference in the world uh, let me make a long story short 15 major repairs four new displays Uh, Let's see, that means 11 other major repairs, uh, several hard drives, and about 10 motherboards. That's the board that makes the computer work. It was a flaw in the design of the computer. Finally, Apple sends me a whole different computer and says, we're going to just send you this. And I remember sitting there going, Lord, I thought if I had that computer, things would be better. Lord said, it's not the computer. It's trusting in me that will make things better. It's not getting wrapped up in the things of this world. Because if you ever get that thing you think will make your life different, how many of you got it? And then you wish you'd never thought about that thing. It happens over and over and over again. We're not smart enough to know what we want. But if you'll trust God in his supply, guess what? He'll give you something all the money in the world can't buy called contentment. Now, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, I think we'll touch on it tonight, but we won't get through it all, Verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Now, if you got one of those newfangled Bibles, it'll say, For the love of money is the root of various kinds of evil. That's not what it says in the original Greek. It says, what it says right here in your King James Bible, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. I don't care what evil it is. I don't care what evil it is, you pick it out. People do it for one reason. They love money. Why would someone sell drugs? Knowing what drugs do to people. knowing that people are going to die because of what they do, knowing that minds of young people are going to be destroyed forever because of the influence of that stuff they're putting in their bodies, and yet they sell it. Why do they do that? Because they love money. They say in the Dominican Republic... There's one city there that has a graveyard full of young men that have come to New York City in the drug trade and have all been shipped home in body bags. You pick the evil. Why do people do it? It doesn't say that the love of money is All evil. It's the root. It's connected. It's what evil grows out of. People will do anything for money. If that's where your heart is. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Ye cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon is this world system. It is possessions it is things you can hold in your hand you can't serve both you've got to make a choice where is your heart going to be i'll tell you i watched my father say i could have a boat and a vacation home and all these things that everybody else where i work had my dad Was a machinist. He worked at Black & Decker. He had a good job in those days. He said, but I'm going to make a choice. He says, I'm going to put my kids in the church school. Because I want them to grow up serving God. That's more important than having these things. I'm the beneficiary of that decision. And I want my children grow up that way because I want them to understand that God will make a bigger difference in their life than anything they can hold in their hands there's a lot of things I don't want in this life you know why? Because they'll take time and affection away from that which is important. I want what I need to serve the Lord. By the way, we got that computer thing straightened out a long time ago. Amen. I got a real nice computer that does the job. And I don't care a thing about it. Because the Lord cured me of that. But you know, you still have to work at it. Amen. That's what living for the Lord is all about. Now, as Paul is teaching Timothy, he's saying, young preacher, you're in charge of a lot of things. And if you want, you can choose to pursue money. And we'll talk about all the things that are connected to that. It says, but they that will be rich. You ever met anybody that will be rich? I mean, they're just going to have money. You know what I found most of them end up doing? They will be in debt, not rich. But the love of money is the root of all evil. You attach yourself to that tree. There's going to be awful things happen in your life, I can promise it. Not because I'm a prophet, but because the Word of God says so. But if you'll seek godliness and contentment, you'll find the greatest gain there is to be had in this life. You've got to have both. You've got to have godliness and contentment. They work together to allow me to serve God. And we'll stop there tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you touched the life of the Apostle Paul and through the power of the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to take them and put them in our living that we would be protected from these things that are spoken about in this very passage. Lord, we ask that we would turn away from these false teachers, from those that would say that having possessions is godly. And Lord, that we would seek godliness and contentment in our lives, that we would allow ourselves, that we would set our heart upon that which you put before us and supply us that we would serve you with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, and before we finish...